Last weekend, I had the absolute pleasure of going to see Born With Teeth over at the Guthrie Theater. Kind enough to join us right now to talk about this play and his role in it is Matthew Ament. Uh, he is a, he is a, an actor there. He plays the role of Kit Marlowe on the sh- stage, uh, and uh, he's kind enough once again to take some time to talk about it. Matthew Ament, excuse me, Ament, Matthew Ament. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Hey, it's my pleasure, Matt. Thank you so much for coming to the show. That's so nice to hear. It was wonderful, and it is something that, okay, I'm used to fairly large presentations and large <laughs> casts at the Guthrie. It's you and one other actor, and what I, I got to imagine is intimidating. When you when you think about it, it's a, it's a, it's a one-act play. It goes about an hour and 45 minutes, and it's just you two on the stage going the entire time. That's right. You know, it's a joy. You know, there's a thing actors kind of say to one another that if you're lucky enough to do a two-hander, as we call them, it's either going to be the best experience of your career or uh, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> what did you did you you searched out this play when it came into to the Guthrie? Was uh, they were looking to uh, to stage this one? You did you went and searched this out? And say, you know, what? I want to really do this. Well, you know, it's funny. I actually live in Europe now. I live in Paris um, with my partner, and uh, we moved there during the pandemic. And <clears throat> my manager called me and said, uh, you know, I know you're not. Um, you're not in the game as much these days, but I, this play just came across my desk. Could you give it a read? And I read it, and I was just just stunned. So I started auditioning for the first production of the show, which was done at the Alley Theater in Houston, mm-hmm. uh, another fabulous theater in the country where I've wanted to work for a long time. And I started just sending in auditions, and I think I had to do a Zoom audition when I was in Berlin from, like, a seedy hotel. <laughs> so I think maybe helped get cast. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, just jumped on it, and ended. I ended up in Texas last year working on, on the world premiere of this thing. And w- is this the only the second stage it's been uh, put on at this point? That's right, yep. Wow. yep. It's the same production we did in Houston, much smaller space and a different configuration, but uh, yeah, this is the second production. And I well, and first of all, a nice job coming here during this stretch from Paris. I imagine Minneapolis-St. Paul has been lovely. <laughs> it's a little wintry for you, dear. It's a little wintry, but you know, I lived here for ten years, and I have, I miss it almost every day. So it's oh. just so good to be so good to be back home. Very cool. Why don't you? I mean, without giving away too much, because this is one you want to go see because it's just it is just pure. You know, it's uh, the play in a pure form. It is wonderfully done. Why don't you give a quick little synopsis of what Born with Teeth is about? Yeah, sure. You know, it's a wonderful play to describe. I think, you know, it's about the life, uh, you know, a bit of a piece of the life of William Shakespeare when he came up against the most famous writer at the time, Christopher Marlowe. And I think, um, you know, I often describe it to friends as, you know, it's not a classical play. It's a very, very contemporary play with a very strong kind of punk sensibility and, uh, you know, real issues of like totalitarianism and authoritarianism rising in a country. And I, you know, I always tell people it's a bit like, if you imagine sort of David Bowie living in Berlin in the 1980s and he takes an assistant and that assistant just so happens to be a young John Lennon, mm-hmm. that you're somewhere on the right track. You know, that these are two kind of magnetic personalities meeting up at a very dangerous time in both of their lives and kind of having everything to win and everything to lose, you know, to be great artists, to be um, great makers of work, but also to maybe lose their lives. And, you know, how do you stay sane in a dangerous political climate and, uh, and be the best version of yourself. 
it, 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 how much historical accuracy is? It? I mean, I, I went after the play. I actually went and spent some time reading about the relationship between Shakespeare and Marlowe. And it, it, I mean, it's it's cloudy at best. There's a lot of different takes on it. There's a lot of different everything from Marlowe is actually the writer of all of Shakespeare's plays to to you know the, you know kind of what plays out in your play a little bit as well. Uh, in, uh, you know, from what your research of, on the part, I mean, how much uh, historical accuracy is, do you think is presented there? Well, you know, this is what really what I love. I'm a huge history buff, so I love diving into these things. It gives me a great amount of pleasure. And what's amazing about Shakespeare is that you know he's I, I think most people would say he's the you know, kind of the greatest genius in the English language, <clears throat> but we know almost nothing about him. Now, Marlowe was sort of equally brilliant in a different way, but, but died very young in a bar fight. Now, we know that they must have known each other. They must have been aware of each other. And I think the play was inspired because a computer algorithm, maybe six years ago, analyzed all the vocabulary and syntax of the Elizabethan playwrights, and the computer spit out that Shakespeare and Marlowe must have co-written the Henry VI plays. Mm. So that was kind of the inspiration for our playwright to think like, oh my God, what was that like? <laughs> you know, what, what was that room where those two guys were working on creating that, that stuff? And I think she also feels very strongly that Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, the writer, was William Shakespeare from Stratford and not any of the various other candidates. So she also wanted to stand up for that viewpoint, I think. And, you know, what's fascinating about Marlowe is that, you know, with some good degree of confidence, we know that he was a spy that he was working for the government. And I've, you know, I've gone back and I've read his, um, his bill from the, the cafeteria at university. And you can see when he's poor, how much he's not spending very much money. And then you can see him disappearing from campus for about two months. And then he comes back and he starts spending huge amounts of money at the, uh, I think the buttery, it was called. So you can actually kind of pinpoint the moment that he must have started working for somebody in espionage. And, you know, it was really kind of a Cold War happening in Europe at the time between mm. the Catholics and the Protestants. So if you imagine something like a, a John le Carré novel where Marlowe would leave, go to Europe, end up in one of those border bars where Catholics and Protestants could be mixing and then sort of trying to track down traitors or, or you know, double agents. And um, we're pretty sure that he was actually in, really involved in that while at the same time writing incredible plays. Matthew Ament is joining us right now. He uh, plays Kit Marlowe in Born With Teeth, currently over at the Guthrie Theater. The one thing, I mean, you talk about the subtext of this play, and I, I think one of the first things I said uh, to my wife as we left is that, you know, I think they nailed it because playwrights and poets back then we're basically the, the, the social media influencers of the time. I mean, that's how you basically were protesting or making social commentary. You did it via what you were doing. And I imagine at that time there was a tremendous amount of pressure, people watching these playwrights and these poets and saying, you know, you'd better stay in line. Yeah, I think, you know, it's really, it's really, I love that you say that because I think she really captured a sort of timeless quality about this play where it just feels immensely contemporary somehow while being very firmly set in the, in the 1590s. And I think that is, that is really true, you know, that these guys were 1000% uh, the rock stars or the, the influencers of their age. And I think one of the things they really come up against is this, like, you know, I have a line in the play that's every man must have a master. Mm. 
and I think you know when you the closer you get to find out who's really pulling the strings behind these worlds and you know what ends are you actually serving and what is the danger and what are you really fighting for those are all kind of scary questions that I feel like are very urgent and contemporary today as well well and 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 as as you bring up the the point of uh, the, the the spies when the church the Church of England and stuff like this it, it is well I think there is there is too much times we do not put ourselves into the day-to-day lives. And granted, I mean, we look back on history and, you know, a few thousand years ago, you were just looking for food and a place to sleep at night. But as we got into the, into the, the 50, you know, 1500s, 1600s, you, it became much more of a, of a, of a shell game and the, the politics that were going behind everything. And it, it, it was in deeply complicated and very actually fascinating because, you know, there were warring parties that were smiling at each other the entire time. Yeah, you know, it's a great point you make, and it's, you know, it's one of the things I really learned kind of growing up here at the Guthrie was that, you know, great theater has the capacity to kind of help us realize that we're not alone, and I think great classical theater has the capacity to help us realize that we're not alone across time, and that's one of the things that I really love about this play is this, you know, these these little gentle reminders that we are, we are extremely divided right now, Mm -hmm. but, you know, a few hundred years ago, people were divided enough that they were getting burnt alive based on their choice of religion, Mm -hmm. and an entire civilization had been forced to change their religion in one generation, you know? I think it's really complicated for us to imagine how just crazy that is. And, um, you know, maybe the 60s comes close, maybe right now comes close, but I take um, uh, some degree of comfort in knowing that, you know, we can get through these things. You know, we can get through these things together. It's interesting you say this. I, I was in the military. I was, I was stationed in Nuremberg, Germany for, for three and a half years. You were living overseas. Uh, I, I, one of the things I want to ask you about is I think you get a perspective living overseas that you realize that Shakespeare is Shakespeare. A play is a play. And if done well, it doesn't matter where you're doing it. It could be out in the middle of Cheyenne, Wyoming. It could be in, in downtown London. It's basically the audience gets it and they appreciate what it is. And I think that when you get into the experience of the world and realize not only, yeah, the differences, I mean, it's a very different place to live in a different, very different culture, but the similarities that we all, we all like certain things. And I imagine that helps you when you're kind of trying to, you know, approach a a project like this, because it it kind of is, if if it's done well, it doesn't matter where it's playing. Everyone's going to love it. You know, yeah, it's true. I love that. First of all, thanks so much for your service. And that must have been an incredible time uh, living in Germany. Yeah, it's, it's true. I do feel that. You know, I, I simultaneously, living in Paris now, I simultaneously, um, and I speak French, so living outside of the English language a little bit, you know, I see some things that frustrate me about us. And I also have a deep, uh, a deep love for the English language and Americans in particular that's kind of being reborn, you know. There really aren't writers like Shakespeare in the French language. There aren't writers like Marlowe. Fr- French is much more a bit more controlled, you know, they have a language academy that they were really about perfecting a line of verse using a a much smaller vocabulary. And, you know, Shakespeare and Marlowe kind of set us on the path to all the beautiful art we have today with spoken word poetry and hip hop and this idea that language is uh, something malleable and flexible that we can change and alter and play with and own and and, uh, recreate every day. That's really really down to sort of Shakespeare and Marlowe and, and their compatriots. And I find that just thrilling to to be around and um yeah it's a beautiful thing our language we're lucky to have it <laughs> you you play kit uh dylan godwin plays will uh how much t- for first of all did you guys ever work together prior to this play no you know we had never before i think he's an absolute treasure he's become one of my best friends and i, I just think he's an extraordinary actor and artist and person you know we met i got off the plane from paris arrived for the first rehearsal in houston we shook hands 
and I set my bag down, and I had t- just taken a COVID test, and I was positive for COVID. So a security officer escorted me out of the room and said, you know, Mr. Amen, please get your things. You have to leave immediately. So that was our first meeting. And then we spent about seven days rehearsing over Zoom while I was locked in a hotel room in Houston. Wow. And, um, you know, he was so supportive and so immediately kind and welcoming of me to his home community and his, his home theater where he's a full-time, full-time employee in the repertory company there. <clears throat> and I think, uh, you know, I just trust him implicitly. I think his taste is extraordinary, and he is uh, one of the best listeners and, and deeply felt actors I've ever, I've ever been around. You're doing this play. I mean, I mean, how long did it take you to get the... I mean, you've done it down... You did it down in Houston, so obviously you're getting, you know, f- much more familiarized with it. But when you're sitting there and you're getting ready to start this down in Houston, I mean, how many weeks, how many months did you guys plan this? Because, I mean, your 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 work is exceptional. I mean, it doesn't stop. You know, the the, the lines are consistent, well-delivered. It's, it's just really a tight piece of acting by both of you there. How long did that take you guys to kind of get that down? Well, that's so, that's so kind of you to say. I mean, it's a real, it's a challenge because I think the playwright really, I mean, she wrote something really extraordinary and she was sort of channeling something in the way that, you know, artists have always written about of sort of a muse visiting you. And I mean, to, to, to say I'm going to write a play where Shakespeare and Marlowe speak to each other, yeah. is pretty, that's a pretty brassy <laughs> statement to make. These are two of the greatest geniuses that have ever lived. <clears throat> but she did it and she did it well. So I sort of knew immediately that um, I'm going to have to be able to think much faster than I can naturally think. So I started working quite a bit before rehearsal to just get the language under my belt. You know, my grandfather told me once that I'm not talented enough to be late. And uh, <laughs> I always think about that. And I, I use that in, in plays like this, really, because the challenge is, uh, the first challenge is that these guys think much faster than normal people. So we have to figure out how to approximate that speed of thought together. <clears throat> you know, so it has to be, it has to be played like a game of very fast professional tennis. You know, we want it to feel like sort of Federer and Nadal. Mm-hmm. Uh, on stage it does it feels like a conversation i mean you're saying it it does not feel like a play it feels like i'm watching two people have a conversation and if you can achieve that in acting i, I think that that is it, it tells you a the two actors are working well together two actors are very talented and it's a good script and you guys know your stuff i think that that's what helps out quite a bit oh thank you that's such a kind compliment yeah i think i think both of us feel like we just you know we want to put in the work every day to be equal to this beautiful play we've been given and try to share it with uh with audiences and hopefully help people, you know, enjoy it as much as, as we do. But I tell you what, it is tiring at the end of the night. My brain is goo. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I'm actually shocked you were able to do this interview because I was like, I was like, this is going to be one of those things where this person has to be prepping for this thing for hours beforehand. And then, I mean, do they want to talk to anyone until the next day anyway? So I appreciate the time. Well, I'm so I'm so grateful for the invitation. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, it is a doozy, but you know that's really fun. Uh, good day's hard work's good for the soul. Uh, Born with teeth at the Guthrie. You're there till April second. I'm going to ask: Are are you guys taking it to other places as well? You know, we really hope so. We've got some irons in the fire, but you know, you never really know until the papers are signed. But I think that's that's our dream. I mean, we just love this story so much. We want to share it with as many people as possible. Uh, Matthew Ament is once again in the play Born With Teeth. Go see it. It's over there at the Guthrie till April 2nd. So you got a few weeks. See it before it is gone. Uh, Matthew, all my best. Uh, congratulations on just a wonderful play. And thank you so very much for the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. It was really a pleasure to uh, to meet you over the over the radio. I hope I meet you in person someday. That was great. Thank you so much. By all means, sir. I'd love to meet you. Uh, Matthew Ament, once again, it is Born With Teeth. He plays Kit Marlowe in that. Go see it at the Guthrie. 